Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Didn't hear last week's show? Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday. January 14th, 2016. Jill Smith, an attorney from Seattle, Washington, joins me tonight. My phone continues to be ringing off the hook, uh, mostly from attorneys across the country seeking guidance on rescission. And even in a, uh, when we were uh, off the air in a conversation with Jill, um the the stories are all the same the the judges are ignoring the statute ignoring Reg Z and ignoring their boss the Supreme Court of the United States um by essentially deciding what's obvious in the case whether it's proven or pled or not And if the Jessenowski decision means anything, it means that, as Scalia said, all rescissions, whether they're disputed or not, are effective as of the date of mailing. Well, if they're effective, then the loan contract is canceled, And according to Reg Z, which is now governed by the Consumer Financial Protection Board, the CFPB, that means the note and the mortgage are void. The fact that a rescission is sent uh, years after the papers were signed does not mean automatically that the rescission was sent more than three years after consummation. The judge is assuming that consummation occurred at all and assuming he knows the date when, in fact, the ordinary course of business is that the closing agent frequently won't even receive the money, and if they do, they're not allowed to release the money until a period of time after a homeowner or a prospective homeowner has signed papers. And that period of time may be hours, days, weeks, months, even years. So judges that ignore 
the rescission based upon their interpretation of the documents as meaning that the rescission was sent more than three years after consummation means that their finding, as a matter of fact, without any evidence, that consummation occurred and that it occurred on a certain date. That's just not what a unanimous Supreme Court in a court that is highly polarized, they had a unanimous decision that said you can't do that. And you can't read in common law uh, uh, theories of rescission into statutory plans and procedures for rescission like the Truth in Lending Act rescission statutes. These judges are getting it wrong either because they're functioning under some instruction that's behind the scenes or because they're not doing their homework and in some cases maybe because it's not being presented properly. But in the case of my guest, Jill Smith, I know it has been presented properly and she will pursue it. And eventually this judge... Uh, like many of the others, will be overturned. No judge is allowed to make a finding of fact or vacate a rescission or ignore a rescission without having a hearing in which evidence is brought in based upon pleadings that establish standing and a right to vacate the rescission. They're skipping that part. And I think they know better, but they're skipping it either because they want to and they don't like the result of ruling for the homeowner or because they're functioning under some instruction off record. So I'm broadcasting. We'll be, we'll be covering uh, uh, some rescission talk and foreclosure defense with Jill Smith in a moment. I'm broadcasting live from Broward County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm with offices in South Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. We couldn't do this without you. And for those of you who are not contributors, we ask that you call 954 954- Four nine five nine eight six seven, and pledge whatever you think you can afford. On the West Coast, you can dial five two zero four four zero five one six eight eight. If this show and the rest of my work has value for you, then please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. And if you're looking for active assistance, then you can call those same numbers and schedule a consult, a review, or both, and you can get a full report on title and securitization, uh, forms, and a book uh, that's about to be published on rescission with with forms, Um, and uh, uh, you can also get our assistance in finding an attorney who does get it and is willing to fight for it. Living Lies with 11 million visits so far, 
is the number one place on the Internet to get information, forms, facts, and opinions from a variety of sources on foreclosure defense, consumer loans, and even student loans. Our mission is to share as much free information as we can to help homeowners and other consumers who find that in addition to the house or car or TV, they bought a very complicated financial product if they didn't pay cash. And we are succeeding in our mission as more and more lawyers, more and more judges, and more and more people in law enforcement across the country smell blood in the water as they realize that there is a winning strategy in connection with confronting the banks in foreclosures, foreclosure defense, rescission, and the fabrication of documents, the forgery of documents, all of which would be unnecessary if they had conducted themselves in a fashion that was legal to begin with. In most cases, it is my opinion that there was no consummation of a loan contract because none of the parties that were present funded the loan. The money was taken from third parties in a manner that was illegal. And there is no way that our jurisprudence rewards illegal acts with windfalls, which is exactly what's happening. Those banks, those services have never invested a dime in, in, in nearly any of the loans. When they get a house, that's the free house. The homeowner who judges say they don't want to give a free house to, in 99.999% of the cases, it would never be a free house, even if they got rid of the mortgage because of all the money they put in besides the mortgage. That's just false. Whereas the banks have really not put in any money into the house, and they're getting the free house. And let me remind my listeners here that nothing stops a foreclosure except a court order. Out west, that means that you have to file suit and get a temporary restraining order. In many states, especially out east, we have a judicial process, which means that the lawsuit must be brought by the party seeking to foreclose and force the sale of the home. No letter, pleading, or anything else will stop the foreclosure from proceeding. No assurances will stop the foreclosure from proceeding or stop the forced sale of the property. In bankruptcy, the order is automatically issued as soon as the bankruptcy is filed. And the same thing applies to rescissions, except that it is reversed. The court is not allowed, which means it is violating the law, the court is not allowed to ignore the rescission. The rescission is a legal binding document that is effective by operation of law on the same date that it was mailed. That's the date of issue for the rescission. It's treated the same as a court order, or it should be. The court may not rule on foreclosures without going step-by-step through the TILA rescission statute where there is a rescission present. 
Jill Smith established a law practice in Albuquerque, New Mexico for 18 years. She has represented a wide variety of clients in employment law, land use, environmental, public lands and water law, Indian law, tax-exempt organizations, and election and campaign finance law. Jill has served as the executive director of the New Mexico Conservation Voters Alliance, New Mexico Conservation Education Fund, and the Washington Wilderness Coalition. Most recently, Jill served as in-house counsel for the Pueblo of Sandia in New Mexico. Jill was formerly legal director for FutureWise, a land use watchdog organization in Seattle. Jill is a graduate of Vermont Law School, where she won the Academic Excellence Award for Natural Resources Law and top honors in federal Indian law. And now she is one of the preeminent foreclosure defense attorneys on the West Coast with her offices in Seattle, Washington, and her telephone number, which is posted on the blog and on the Blog Talk radio site, is 206-227-9800. Jill, thanks for returning on to the show. It's been months since you were on last, and we have, we've seen a lot of ground action, if you want to use military terms. Thank you for coming. Yes, thanks for inviting me. Well, you heard me sound off in my rant about what's going on. Uh, how have the courts been viewing foreclosure litigation recently from your perspective? Well, out here in the state of Washington, um, it's kind of a mixed bag. We have um, we have had a number of um, cases that have ended up in the Court of Appeals in the Supreme Court of Washington, and the the courts are starting to come around to viewing things from the borrower's perspective. Um, there's been, you know, there was one setback we had recently, though, um, a, a decision that came out of the Washington Supreme Court um, that uh, had to do with uh, the beneficiary declaration. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, out here on, in most of the Western states, we have non-judicial foreclosures. So there's a foreclosure trustee that steps in uh, to handle the foreclosure proceedings. It doesn't go through court. Um, in Washington, in our state statute called the Deed of Trust Act, one of the requirements is that um, the trustee must have proof of the beneficiary. Um, but they've said that a um, declaration, a beneficiary declaration made under oath um, I'm sorry, made under penalty of perjury, um, is sufficient to for the trustee to rely on to um, assume that that's the proper beneficiary. So, so in other that, words, yeah. Another, in other words, when this uh, self-proclaimed beneficiary uh, files the substitution of trustee, replacing the original trustee on the deed of trust they then cite to that as proof that they are the beneficiary, even though that was a self-serving document, and the the new trustee is allowed to take it as gospel that they are the beneficiary 
uh, on account of because they said so. Correct. And it's a problem because uh, these are self-serving documents. They are 99% of the ones I've seen, the signature is a rubber stamp. It's not, there is no actual pen ink signature. Um, or if there is, it's a little doodle. You know, you can't really tell wh- whose name it is. Um, but far worse is the problem that basically what the statute has done is allow something to be presented into evidence, which would not hold up under the normal rules of evidence as to what constitutes hearsay, because we don't even know if the person whose name is on the declaration is even a living human. We don't know if, even if they are, we don't know if they are, uh, have first-hand information about the file or the document that they're thing to being the um, the the you know the true deed of trust or the original note. We don't know a lot of things, and the person's signature isn't even notarized, so we don't know who we're dealing with. We haven't been able to get that person in the court to depose them. Um, they're you know they're just simply allowed to rely on that beneficiary declaration. And it's, I mean, it's a huge problem for for homeowners um, who are trying to stop a foreclosure because, I mean, these these beneficiary declarations that we see are just rife with fraud. I mean, anybody could sit in their office and type one of these up and rubber stamp it. I mean, it's it's a total joke. Um, you know, I've been encouraging. It's a, you know, I've been encouraging attorneys to attack the presumptions that might normally apply on the basis of the behavior that we have in the public domain uh, in which these entities have been accused of fabricating, forging, robo-signing, perjury, etc., and settling those cases. Now, I don't necessarily think that you have to prove more likely than not that this particular document was, in fact, fabricated or forged, but I do think that bringing evidence of that prior behavior removes the right of the court to presume that the document, which appears to be facially valid, that it is indeed valid, and therefore the court, in my opinion, must require evidence of the legitimacy and authenticity of the document, which includes bringing that person into court and letting them testify. Yes, I think that's, you know, we... we we need to impress upon the judges to 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 look at that um right now the statute would be in conflict with the hearsay rules um and, and so you know but you know the statute controls and that's what trustees rely on um and the recent supreme court case that we had um from the washington washington supreme court essentially upheld that they said nope that's what the statute says they're allowed to rely on these beneficiary declarations um and so it basically gave them carte blanche to do that um 
so that's kind of disturbing and it's a it's a big hurdle you know unless you can find something else wrong with the document itself you know i don't know but a fraudulent uh entity you know and if we were to use that logic if you want to call it that um for situations regarding real property then a self-serving affidavit will take the place of a valid deed. Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually a good point. I hadn't thought of that. I, I mean, that's what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. And, um, well, before we uh, get too deep into that, what is your view quickly on the uh, overall whether the judges are coming around in terms of viewing the issues from a borrower's perspective i think the i think what i've observed is that the judges seem to a light bulb has gone off in their heads and they i do believe that they are starting to see a lot of evidence coming before them in cases um you know a lot of these cases end up settling rather than going to trial but meanwhile the judges are reviewing discovery summary judgment motions they are seeing what's going on and you know i mean a lot of judges are are homeowners as well and they you know so they have they have to think about themselves as being a, a borrower um but i do think they're starting to come around and to the extent that they can under the statutes that we're we have to live with i think that they're trying to level the playing field for borrowers, um, at least in the state of Washington. I think probably to some extent in Oregon as well. I'm not sure about California. I think that's a whole other subject. But um, we, it's, so there's some encouragement. I think it's just, you know, it's, it's very slow. As you know, moving through the courts is very slow to get any real change made or get any relief for lots of people. Um, but it is happening, um, and even we have a couple of judges in the federal district court out here that are starting to um, wake up to, you know, how the banks and the trustees are really, you know, coming to court with fraudulent documents. They can't even answer some of the questions they're asked. You know, it's it's starting to it's starting to hit home, I think. But there's still, you know plenty of judges out there that are happy to side with the banks too. So that's why I, I I say it's a mixed bag, but I think it's better than it was five or six years ago for sure. I I would agree with that across the country, uh, but it's uh, too slow for my taste. Um, Me too. (laughs) Let's, (laughs) let's, let's visit for a, a, a couple of minutes here. Uh, this, settlement, which I had to cool down for about 10 minutes after I read it, in, if I pronounce it right, Multnomah County, Oregon? Correct. Right. Uh, They settled with MERS, which is really to say that they were settling with a sham nominee for Bank of America, City, Wells, etc., and took, you know, uh, several million dollars. 
But yes. the, 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 the settlement, the, the, the case was brought by the county in connection with the um, uh, destruction of the validity of the title chains because of the use of MERS and that no corrective action had been taken. And what this county did, as, as I understand it and as I read, is they said, well, just give us a few million dollars and we'll say MERS is valid. What That's the statu- how I understand it, yeah. What do the statutes allow in Washington, in Seattle? Okay, so it's part of the, I think, I haven't read the entire Oregon situation or the case but uh, or the settlement word for word, but what I do know is the state of Washington, or excuse me, the state of Oregon requires that assignments of the deed of trust be recorded in the counties. Now, in Washington, we don't, which is another huge problem. But this is the problem in the Oregon case is that MERS was, you know, there was all kinds of assignments from MERS as nominee for X, Y, and Z, um, assigning it to somebody else. Now, they're avoiding recording fees all across the country, and that was happening in Oregon as well. And I think that was part of the case. I'm not I'm not sure exactly uh, exactly how the settlement is worded, but um, it, it's in Washington. We, you know, we don't have to record assignments. You can assign anything to anybody now. They at any time and not record it. Now we have to re- record the appointment of successor trustee, but because assignments don't have to be recorded. MERS can just run around doing whatever they want, whenever they want, and not tell anybody. Usually they do come in and record an assignment when they're on the verge of foreclosing. So you will see the assignment of the deed of trust and the appointment of successor trustee recorded oftentimes on the same date, um, you know, to basically prepare for sending out a notice of trustee sale. Um, a lot of times those assignments will say, you know, say it's uh, the assignment is recorded in 2015, but it will say, you know, on, uh, you know, June 5th, 2009, we assigned this uh, deed to so-and-so. So, I mean, how is that even, you know, I mean, that's fraudulent. I mean, you're, you're, you assigned it, but you didn't record the assignment. I mean, why would you bother recording it at all? It's backdating. It doesn't make any sense. It's backdating, it's fabrication, it's forgery, it's lots of things. And uh, uh, and I think, frankly, that uh, uh, the uh, reasoning behind all this is that the banks feel that they are the protection for the country in making sure that the entire financial system doesn't collapse. And they're buying into that myth. The fact is there are 7,000 community banks, savings banks, credit unions, regional banks, in this country, it's not like other countries. 
And if the big banks collapse, all that business that they're conducting to the smaller banks who are more readily. So, um, well, we're we're kind of running out of time here, and uh, there's more that I want to ask you, so I will invite you back on. Um, uh, I want to thank Jill Smith. I want to thank Jill Smith for coming on the show. Uh, she is a valuable person uh, to talk to, and I would recommend that attorneys who are not so sure of themselves or need a little help that they contact uh, Jill in Seattle, Washington uh, for some help. And I recommend her as an attorney for homeowners. Thank you, Jill, and it's time to sign off. Okay, thanks very much, Neil. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.